Hello and welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I am Matt. I am Ashley. And we're joined by our friend Gus. Hello, Gus. Hey, thanks for having me back. Very excited. Thanks for being with us. Um, so this is an episode in our Criterion series. So Criterion is a uh, release label. They put out uh, movies, um, uh, physical media. Also have a Criterion streaming channel. Uh, movies that they have deemed worthy. This is one of them. And uh, it's called Deep Cover. came out in 1992. Gus is going to tell us about it. All right. So Deep Cover is we, 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 we have a young man who believes that, well, a, a certain incident in his youth causes him to create a very strict moral code that he believes he abides by. And it has led him to become a police officer. And as a police officer, he's asked to use the, how do you say, the manifestations of the issues that he's been dealing with his whole life as a black man, as well as somebody who had a very traumatic experience in his youth. He's supposed to use these manifestations to go undercover to catch a very, a very politically, um, a very politically tied together, for lack of a better term, um, individual who is one of the highest drug dealers in the world. And so our young man, Russell, goes under the name John Hull to basically become a part of the drug organization and work his way from the ground up. And so the film depicts this type of, this type of undercover operation, but it also deals with the morality question as well as some other structural things we'll talk about later. But that is pretty much the gist of how Lawrence Fishburne plays Russell, a, or a.k.a. John, <laughs> in dealing with his moral uh, foundation in the midst of such crippling violence, corruption, etc. Yeah, so I think if you... You know, if you just kind of read a summary of, of what this movie is, it, it sounds like just a cop thriller, like a something, you know, set in the world of on the streets and in the world of drugs and, and gangs. And it's not a genre I'm particularly uh, drawn to. But this actually this movie actually, I think, transcends that because you're right. It is kind of it's more about morality and and the character that Lawrence Fishburne plays is a character that you you care about. And it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see the arc of his character as he struggles to kind of maintain that moral code that you talk about in the world that he's having to inhabit undercover. Um, and I, what the big point that I kind of come away from this movie with is how it's, I don't know, nearly impossible, maybe impossible to maintain a moral code in this world. I mean, it's just not, how do you do it and survive? That's kind of how I, that's kind of what I take from this movie, and it's a it's a powerful point, and I think the you know the movie is very well made, well acted, and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, so I kind of have a mixed view on this movie. Uh, it has some really high points in it. Um, I mean, the acting is impeccable. Um, it has it also has in here Jeff Goldblum um, as a someone who's involved with the crime syndicate that. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character kind of ends up partnering with. You've got um, Gregory Sierra, who's been in a lot of like '70s films, TV shows. Uh, he's sort of one of the one of one of the main bosses 
in this crime syndicate. Uh, and you got Glenn Turman, who's pretty much only in, he plays Lawrence Fishburne's dad in a, um, in an early, pretty much an early scene. He's folks may remember him from a different world. He was also in uh, Ma Rainey's black bottom a couple of years ago. Um, Clarence Williams, the third, uh, is, is in this, you know, uh, the three of us just talked about, uh, tales from the hood last October. Clarence Williams, the third was in that as well as, and I'm probably going to miss, mess up this middle name, Charles, I'm sorry, Roger Gwenver Smith. Uh, but he was also in tales from the hood. So, yeah, uh, it's got a good a good cast, and there are some um, scenes in here where like the cinematography is great. Uh, Bohan Bazelli was the cinematographer. Uh, this is directed by Bill Duke. There are certain shots of the way that they're framed. Um, it's they're just magnificent, um, and, and yeah, and it's always one of those. It's, it's, it is a thriller, so you are you are always kind of on the edge of your seat, not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, so those are those are some of the high points I found with it. I can talk a little bit later about some of the stuff that I maybe um, wasn't as firmly footed on, uh, mm-hmm. and we we can talk more about that later. So I'll throw it back to Gus. Yeah, um, I, I, to, to to go off both of your points, but especially uh, Ashley's point, I think Ashley's right on the money. I think that that's what, what Bill Duke is trying to do. Bill Duke has created what we call a neo noir. Right? This is this is a neo noir thriller. Where, and again, for, for, for listeners who are unfamiliar, the noir genre of films are cased in morality. There's an individual figure who has to make decisions based on whatever moral, whatever moral background or ideology they have. And in noirs, it's hard to say that in a sense, <laughs> they rarely make the right decision and things fall apart throughout the film. And that's kind of what Bill Duke is using. And what going back to Ashley's point is to prove that, because again, Bill Duke is very much so about the structural problems of America. If you watch some of his other films, and I'll talk about one of his other films that came out the very next year that I think is kind of a complimentary to it called Strat. But what he does here is show that, yeah, like there is a system, and I love how he does this. <laughs> He moves away from the, the, the black pathology garbage argument that a lot of these films fall into, that this is solely a cultural problem within black communities, because the main players and the main villains and drug dealers, just like in real life, are typically very rich people and are typically non-black people. I mean, that's just, I mean, that, that, is, the, that is the truth when you look at drug dealing and the drug war. In the, in the United States. And he put that on display at a time when everybody else was depicting the main drug dealers as black figures who were living in the neighborhood. It's like, no, these people are like, that's a Latin American political um, political associate from another country. Like, that's honestly how drug operations work. So he's very good at his authenticity. And that's why, that's why I, I like it as a neo-noir because most of the neo-noirs like the stuff that... Um, the Cohen brothers have done, um, like Blood, um, Blood Simple. Blood Simple. They're cased in a kind of authenticity in where you can see yourself in this situation. And I thought they did a very good job for most of the movie in keeping with that authenticity of this is what the real drug trade looks like. Yeah, you have a couple of black drug dealers on the ground here or there, but they're not major players. And so as Fishburne's Deep dives deeper into this world, 
there is a loss of morality in the scene in the bathroom mm. when we get the spoilers. I'm not going to spoil it yet, but I thought that's some of the best acting Fishburne's ever done because he had to switch from he had to switch from this determined, cold-blooded feeling to the minute he walks up to the person and then you can see the, the scared in his face because he has to confront something he's never confronted before, his morality. I thought that was beautifully done, directed, and the acting. That's the, one of Fishburne's best acting scenes in his whole career. And so, but I agree with you, Matt, and we'll talk about it more. There's a lot in the film that I think is problematic, mainly because of Duke's dedication to the noir genre. And I'll just stop there because I, I, I know we're going to get into it, but there's, there's so much to appreciate about this film and how Duke shot it and the acting, as Matt talked about. But we have to understand that the key thing for Duke here is morality. We're gonna, that's going to be a major thing as we go along in this episode. Yeah, I don't think we can over, or I don't think I can overstate the what I think is the importance of Fishburne's performance in the success of this movie. Um, I don't know how you act like you're having, you know, you're facing moral quandaries and I, I don't know how you do that, but he manages to do it and it's, it's very effective. And I think we've, we've mentioned, you know, the, the other performances are great too. We have to talk about Jeff Goldblum because he, you know, he's Jeff Goldblum and he, he brings that, whatever that is that he has to this role. Um, you know, he's kind of, wacky he has some one-liners but then he's is also you know deadly serious at times and um it's he's it kind of gives him there's a you know there's a scariness to him um at some points so that's a very powerful performance too and yeah the the noir influence is is pretty pretty obvious it's it's gritty um it, there's even some narration that you might find in a in a noir film and but technically, the, the movie is, is very well made. And, you know, Matt mentioned that, you know, there's some really wonderfully framed shots. There's some wonderful transitions and mm -hmm. dissolves between scenes that are um, very interesting. So I think, you there's, know, Yeah, there's the one with the guy walking, yeah. uh, walking across, a character walks across the screen, and that transitions from one location and scene to another. Right, yeah, that was fascinating. So, yeah, you know, the direction is pretty pretty great, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So we're doing a lot of very apt comparisons to, to noir movies, and, and, and I think that's good. I was also kind of reminded a little bit of sort of, kind of Scorsese, mm -hmm. uh, sort of the, 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 the crime thriller, the mafia. This is not really mafia, but it is sort of mafia-esque um, of a kind uh, part to it. But you also got Lawrence Fishburne's narration. Which, you know, I've seen a lot of Scorsese films where you've got a character narrating, you know, and I was, it took me a minute to think like, this is reminding me of something. What is this reminding me of? And it, I was like, oh, okay, it's a Scorsese film. Uh, I mean that as a, as a compliment. Um, and the noir aspect is where I think sometimes it's where this movie gets a little let down at. And the reason I say that is um, when we talk about noir films, a lot of what we're talking about are, kind of the, the, the height of noir movies was in the 40s, right? And that was a different era. There was a different style of filmmaking. Um, and this movie was made in the 90s. 
and it was in a, made in, 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 in that era where I feel like society and, and, and the way films were made, things were a little more, there was a little more depth to, to certain things, right? Or, or grittiness. And I feel like sometimes, I don't know if I'm getting this said very well, but the noir trappings of this yeah. sort of prevented it from the nuance that it might have needed. Um, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and I'll be honest with you. So I completely 100% agree about Lawrence Fisherman's performance in this. He is great. That said, he doesn't have a whole bunch to work with. His character, I felt like, was a bit of a cipher. So we are we are shown the very first scene, the one with Glenn Turman, where he plays his father, is back in, uh, I think it's in the early seven early seventies, yes, which seven. looks like the fifties, like hey, the, yeah. the car they pull up in, you know, <laughs> and, and, and the, the the anyway, but yeah, so it's the early seventies. Lawrence Fisherman's a kid. His dad's a, 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 a addicted to drugs. He ends up trying to rob a store and gets shot and killed. And then we flash forward to 1992 and present day in, the, in this movie. And, you know, Lawrence Fishburne has become a police officer and he's being interviewed um, by a high up played by Charles Martin Smith. And in that scene, there is this info dump about Lawrence Fishburne's character. And I feel like that is an example. We have it, I think, once or twice more in this movie where people tell us about who his character is instead of us kind of getting a better idea about who his character is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I'll, again, Lawrence Fisherman does an excellent job portraying someone who does try to abide by a moral code of, that he's, you know, has for himself and is set up for failure because of the situations he's put in. But I feel like a lot of what we relate to with that is, is one, his performance, but two, just kind of putting ourselves in that position, like, okay, like, wow, like this is, you know, this, this, mm -hmm. is, this sucks. Like, you know, what, 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 what would we do in this kind of scenario? Um, I don't know. What do you think about that, Gus? No, no, man. I think you are 500% correct. <laughs> that is exactly my biggest issue with the film is that Bill Duke is clearly, clearly wanting to make a meal in the wall. He's definitely influenced by the Cohen brothers and what they've done with some of their films up to that point. He's influenced by the 40s. He's influenced by the Humphrey Bogart noirs. You know, he, he's, I, I kind of feel like he does see Fishburne as a Humphrey Bogart-like figure who has to face all these different trappings, or excuse me, all, yeah, all these different trappings that test his morality. And of course, he makes the wrong decision time after time again. And I know we're not going to spoil this now, but <laughs> the payoff isn't there. But we'll get to that later. But I like the, I like the way you put it is that there's what there's so much info dumping because I don't because Bill Duke Bill Duke wants to have his cake and eat it too in this film and there's another film he does this in called Strat. Hmm. Now Strat uh, and just to quick aside, Strat came out in '93 and was an HBO original film where Bill Duke is basically laying out how how guns get into black neighborhoods. So he, you know, his whole thing is he shows the production of guns and how these very rich business people drive into neighborhoods and sell the guns to gangs at very low prices. And because they're selling so many of them, they're making a ridiculous profit. And he shows all of that. But in the midst of it, he falls back into tropes of the cultural pathology stuff of black on black crime. And so he's kind of like, he's playing two different sides against each other in that film, just like he's doing here. 
And that's all. So I agree with you. I think that he has a major issue with wanting to show the structural problems of, of, of the morality-less drug drug war game and or crime syndicate game, while also while also trying to say, hey, you know, this is actually a pretty cool genre thriller. So let's throw in some cool action scenes <laughs> where people are hanging out of cars and all this other stuff. And yeah, it's like. It's, it's it's a the tone is the, the tone is jarring when you see it happen because even when I, I saw this a lot as when I was younger and just watch it again recently I still felt jarred by the tone when that scene happens when the big chase scene starts it's like yeah it's a, it's a different movie <laughs> the transition of that and again he's doing it because. In a lot of old noirs, you did have that kind of like uh scene because it, it, it plays the genre. But this doesn't do that early on, and then it does. And then the payoff comes, we'll talk about later. It's really, and again, I love Bill Duke's direction, but I don't think that, I, I think that his, his motivation and the stakes of what he wanted to put out got muddled because he wanted to make a genre neo-noir when he really wanted to tell people about the issues of morality and drugs in America. He just he couldn't, he couldn't mesh it well throughout the film. So I agree with you. Yeah. Um, it does have an interesting thing to say, too, um, both early on and then later, which we'll get to here in a moment. But, you know, when uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character agrees to be, basically, when he agrees to go under undercover, under deep cover, one might say. Um, his superior, again played by Charles Martin Smith, kind of goes. He kind of lays out uh, this. He has a, a, you know, a little poster he's done of the of the pictures and the names of the people involved in the syndicate, and kind of like their their ranking, their hierarchy. And you know, he talks about okay, like you know, get this lower level boss, and then this next level boss. You know, Lawrence Fishburne's like, okay, now what about the dude at the top? He's like, well, you know, he he makes up reasons why like they can't go after him. And again, this comes back later. With you know, we can talk about that in a moment. But um, that is that always, you know, that does bring up an interesting question of um, that often seems to be the case, especially in the drug wars which have been going on for a long time now, where it seems like all that we go after are the lower level people. Whether that be the people on the streets who are actually the ones who have are, are the victims of it, I don't necessarily. I mean, both literal like victims who have died or been you know maimed or whatever, but also just you know um, addict, become addict, become addicts um, to this uh, and you know uh, this the system, um, and up to and including the lower level bosses, right? We never seem to go after the top level dudes, and again, we'll talk about we'll get into spoilers here in a moment, but there's reasons apparently why we don't go after the the big big dudes um, <laughs> you know Jeff Goldblum, I liked him in this, but I found his character a little erratic his his character kind of um it, it starts making starts doing stuff later on in the movie that i i i I, I think there's a yeah. I think what's supposed to, we're supposed to see happening is an escalation of events when and things do escalate, but and then yeah. the characters act or react accordingly. 
but it, it kind of like kind of going to ju- back to what Gus was saying. I felt it a little jarring. Like when they started at certain characters started acting certain ways, I was just like, whoa, I got whiplash. I was like, wait, what? What's, what? Why is this happening? Yeah, I guess I, well, specifically with Jeff Goldblum, I, I kind of read that as, as part of his character, um, that he is kind of, you know, I don't know how you would describe it, but he has different personalities depending on his mood. He's, there's something a little psychotic about him. And that's how I interpreted that. But it, perhaps it is just, uh, you know, bad writing and, and the, the character changes, uh, too dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it was, again, this is, this is hard for me to say because again, I am a Jeff Goldblum diehard fan. Everything he's in, I love him and everything. I just recently watched Mr. Frost, a very low-budget movie he did in 1990, where he plays somebody that could be the devil, and it's so good. Oh, he's so good, man. And again, I love the plot. So both of them amazing. But I, I think I think Ashley's hitting on something, and Matt, you laid it out perfectly. I don't think he's given enough or that maybe there are some scenes that got cut that we missed, but he does transition because remember, we first see him as so too scared to even witness a beating. Like, he, you know, he, he's very just off like nervous, like, I don't like this. And then all of a sudden, he's talking about sexual things. He's riding around doing all this, you know, a lot of racist language and all of a sudden. When at first he wouldn't he would even challenge somebody. And then later on, he goes back to being meek and worried. And yeah, it's like, I, I, maybe that's what Bill Duke is trying to get at, that he's so erratic. But the payoff for his character doesn't show that for me, at least. I think he's, I think Bogle is doing exactly what he's told to do. But I think that what the writing is giving him is so, it, it, it's jarring. Or maybe it's the editing of the film. I don't hmm. know. But yeah, I, I, yeah, this character arc looks potentially promising until a specific point in the film will get spoiled. Where I'm like, I can't buy this guy. So, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing I want to mention, and, and I, I want to be clear, I actually liked this movie. Um, I, 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 I would recommend it to people. It's an interesting film. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect film, but uh, I think it, it has a lot going for it. I'm like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to watch it, if you're going to sit down and watch like a nineties Scorsese movie, or if you're going to watch a film noir movie or neo noir movie, I mean, then this should certainly be in your viewing list. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. So the main <laughs> female character, if, if not only, if, if there's really, there's really only two female characters in this, but um, yes. the, 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 the love interest of, of, of Lawrence Fishburne. Cause you know, all, all noir movies need a dame, right? You know, they, they need the, the, the femme fatale or whatever, the, the one that the main, the main character falls for. I thought she was really underdeveloped. Um, yeah. I was sitting here one, I mean, and, 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 and uh, I mean, you know, I mean, he, there's again, and I don't know, maybe Gus is honest with me, maybe there's some stuff missing on the cutting room floor, but, she appears. She appears in this a couple scenes, and there's not a whole lot to her. In fact, if anything, she's pretty suspicious. And then the next thing you know, like Lawrence Fishburne is like falling head over heels for her. And throughout the rest of the film, I mean, 
she is she's the the the, the uh, you know the apple of his eye or whatever i mean he, he's just all about her and i'm like where 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 did this come from you know why is he except i said i said to myself like because the movie requires him to have a love interest so that's why you know they're acting i don't know did, did you what did you think about that guess yes uh yeah, but the elephant in the room is of course the, uh, the the young woman. Uh, and this, this is this was the deepest part of the film. This is the part that really hurt me because the way it's set up, the first scene with her is amazing mm-hmm. because she is like, "Listen, I don't trust you. You act like a cop. <laughs> I'm suspicious." Like she lays it down. I'm like, "Oh, she's gonna be amazing." The very next scene. Just like a just like a forties noir movie, he's running in the rain to see her and comes into the shop. And then, of course, all the puppy dog eyes and the oh, now we're all in love now. Mm-hmm. And that that's and that's that's her that's her arc now. She is now basically somebody that plays off of his interest and not having agency of her own, mm-hmm. right? Until the end, but we'll, I'll get to yeah. that later. But yeah, I agree with you, Matt. That was the weakest part of filming because it set me up to have a really cool, like, will she turn him in or will she have an issue or will she continue to notice he's a cop? But they just dropped that and it's gone for her to just be available to fall in love with him. So that was, yeah, that was the weakest part for me. So, um, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten about the character. That's how, that's how <laughs> underdeveloped she was. Um, and then you know the the other female character is it the the neighbor who mm-hmm. has the the young boy mm-hmm. was that kind of dropped too because I don't remember how that ended up but I thought that might have you know that was kind of interesting and I thought there was going to be more with that young boy and that was actually a really good scene it was heartbreaking yeah um, but the scene where he is um, on this payphone in the hallway of the apartment he lives in and his next door neighbor who is um, she's a drug addict you know. Uh, She's got a young son who he's trying to look out for, but he's obviously got other things going on. But, uh, yeah, she basically tries to bug Lawrence Fishburne when he's on the phone and tries to, like, basically sell her son to him. Um, and her acting, that act, I mean, they were just, that, that's, the way that scene was done, I mean, the direction, the acting, the, the script, I mean, it was just, that movie was firing on all cylinders in that scene. Yeah. It was terribly heartbreaking. But, yeah, that was an excellent scene. All right, so we're going to get to spoilers now. Um, we're going to talk about the ending, so so I'll hand it over to you, Gus. Oh, God, where to start? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, again, I, I'm like you, Matt. I recommend this film. I, I really enjoy it a lot. But those last 10 minutes, they make absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> None. Okay, so we're supposed to believe that this cop, Clarence Williams III's character, is just all of a sudden now like this kind of magical, mystical guardian <laughs> for Lawrence Fishburne so that when he's shot, Lawrence Fishburne's willing. Because remind you, Fishburne, 10 minutes before this, had completely turned to crime. He was in. <laughs> like, he was killing people. He was making deals. He was doing all this. This one mystical, magical guardian <laughs> who talks about Christ to him gets shot and then he suddenly turns back into a cop. Just like I said, that is one of the worst payoffs ever because and it violates what Bill wants to do with Neil Noir because 
or, or noirs in general, because when the character makes a bad decision in the noir movie, it typically leads to something bad happening at the end. It follows through. There is no redemption because of that. Again, he gets his big redemption, and then that. Um, I'm gonna, I, that's what I talk about with that. But my major first issue with the ending is that it, it pretty much it, it pretty much uh, negates a lot of what we saw with Fishburne's character when he finally says, I'm done, he starts doing drugs, starts drinking, shooting people, he's deep in it now. But one person getting shot that he met maybe twice, talking about Christ, when he said himself he was an atheist, now he's before he's back, he, 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 he's back now. Uh-uh, no, that's the first issue. So I was trying to understand what the Clarence Williams, the third character, what that was about. Um, because he comes up in at least a couple other scenes before the scene toward the end where he gets shot. And, you know, he is a religious um, man. In fact, Lawrence Fishburne refers to him as reverend, you know. Um, and yeah, you're right. So in just a scene or two before Lawrence Williams III gets shot, Lawrence Fishburne tells off his superior because we find out then we find out some more stuff and, and, and yeah. get that, but you know, he tells off his superior and he quits. He's like, I quit. I am no longer a policeman. And Gus is right. He just goes off the deep end. I mean, he is a criminal now, you know? And then 10 minutes later, if that the Reverend uh, <laughs> gets himself shot and is dying and Lawrence Fishburne like blurts out to like Jeff Goldblum, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. And you know, and he calls for backup and, I'm just like, where did this, where did this come from? You know, um, I, I was trying to figure it out because the movie was actually kind of. I felt like, am I stupid? Like, am I not? Am I too stupid to understand the the low key plot points here? Like, I was thinking, okay, so maybe. I mean, I was I was pulling stuff. I'm like, maybe the, the Clarence Williams III is a stand-in for his dad. Maybe he is because again, I feel like Lawrence Fishburne's character is a bit of a cipher. We we don't know all about what's going on in his mind, and I'm like, maybe. Yes. Maybe he's looking for a father figure, the father figure that was taken from him when he was a kid. He sees Clarence Williams III. Because, you know, I don't, again, we don't know. But it feels like maybe Lawrence Fishburne's character didn't have a lot of people looking out for him. And then Clarence Williams III, even though they're not really friends, they, you know, don't, they don't really know each other. And Clarence Williams III thinks he's just a criminal. He is kind of looking out for him. And he gives him these little preachy talks. And I'm like, well, maybe he latches onto that. Maybe, maybe he's looking at that as a father figure. So that's why he gets so pulled in when he gets shot and starts to die. But that was problematic. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'll agree with both of you that that transition between um, Lawrence Fishburne, the bad guy, to Lawrence Fishburne, the good cop, at the end is so swift that it's. At first, I was like, wow, that is that was some deep cover. <laughs> but it's so unconvincing uh because yeah we've seen him fall from grace essentially mm-hmm. and yeah it, just that moment doesn't work mm-hmm. just, well, to, to, to kind of to kind of answer what matt's saying what i think will be doing here is that's why i noticed i used the term magical and mystical <laughs> is that he's there to act as as you mentioned kind of the morality angel. Like, every conversation he has, he'll do puts him there to kind of remind Fishburne, like, hey, you can change. Hey, you can do this. 
this, you know, you don't have to be this person. Like every conversation that, not every, like it's not a lot. He sees maybe twice or three times before the final scene. But each one, they have that kind of back and forth. And I think that that's what, that's what Clarence Woods III is not really a character. Hmm. Maybe a symbol of morality that Bill G puts to Fishburne, which is why Fishburne has these outbursts whenever he's talking with him, like in the um, interrogations. Mm-hmm. And so, but the problem with how, how Bill G does it is it's very ambitious and it, and it, and it, 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 it there's no follow through. As Ashley said, if he was going to flip back to what he was at that point, I mean, we're supposed to believe that after the scene when he first does cocaine, then he goes to the meeting with Jeff Goldblum that he is now like seriously doped up because they can see his eye, like he's shaking like an actual, like somebody who is an addict does. So what happens to all of that in the next scene when they go to meet and no spoilers, kill <laughs> the second big drug dealer guy? Like, so he's not doing it anymore? That's what I'm saying. It really feels like what I think happened. I think that there was another ending. They test screened it mm. and, the, and the audience was like, it's too, it's too dark. Mm-hmm. They shoot another ending. They shot another one. They test screened it. And then the audience was like, okay, even though it doesn't make any sense, <laughs> at least it's a happier ending. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the only thing that makes sense to me because those last 10 to 15 minutes are so, are so opposite of what we've been led up to that. Yeah. It's, I mean, I love, I really do like this movie a lot, but I do think it's one of the worst endings. Mm-hmm in a noir movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing. That's why I kind of brought up earlier that noir's heyday, like, uh, you know, 30s and 40s and whatever, um, into the 50s a little bit. Um, it was just a different era in, in many ways. But one of them was, I think audiences just had an appetite then for kind of dour endings, right? You know, like you talked about it earlier, Gus, uh, noir films kind of just, you know, characters made a bad decision and that then informed the remainder of the film. Like it just, you know, noirs kind of were almost like a dirge. They just, you know, they just ended so, um, well, the one I will say, they didn't quite go too, too dark. So one of my favorite movies is Double Indemnity. Let's do a little side note here, but, um, (laughs) I've seen that movie many times, but you know, that movie does end. I mean, the, 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 the main players, Fred McMurray, Barbara Stanwyck, their characters, you know, do not succeed. They, um, and, and Fred McMurray is, is, uh, been shot and he's pretty much dying toward the end. Uh, but they actually, I don't know if they shot it, but they definitely planned a final scene where he gets put to death in the electric chair. And, that was finally they they cut that they were like no 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 <laughs> like we're not we're not gonna do we're not gonna go all that way um, so no they didn't they didn't completely go that that dark back then but this ending is you're completely right Gus this ending that they've tacked on to this movie particularly when they go to Congress I mean on the one hand you know on the one hand I'm like good you know, good for Lawrence Fishburne he's you know he's he he got the upper hand and he you know whatever but on the other hand it's just like this does not feel uh, this does not feel authentic to this to the rest of this movie, but <laughs> sure, fine. You know, we'll, we'll we'll roll with this. You know. Okay, let's yeah, let's go to part two now. <laughs> the, part two, the, the part two problem of the ending is the court scene. Um, okay, so 
a great example of a neo-noir that doesn't have a completely downbeat ending, but it still shows that the, the bad decisions that the main characters made are going to stick with them forever, either after this ends, is Blood Simple. Mm. I think Blood Simple is the perfect example of that, in that everything, like, the, the spoiler alert, the main characters do not die, but what they've done, they're not getting out of this. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're, they're going to have to either be on the run, they're either going to have to change something, they're going to have to do something that's going to further lead them to possibly a darker path. And that's kind of what, that's, when you get to the, when you get to the court scene, Okay, first of all, <laughs> first of all, so we're supposed to believe that Charles Charles Smith's character can just throw away charges if Lawrence Fishburne doesn't 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 tear him down as an individual. He gets on the stand, he doesn't tear him down, but then he completely blows up and says, "Okay, by the way, you realize that." This the, the unit told me not to go after this big guy, and I had them on tape doing drugs, and they and they said they didn't want to use this. And then one of the one of the I don't know if it was a judge or the prosecutor or somebody, the black guy screams, "Oh, this is terrible! How could you say this about the government?" Uh-huh. And then everything's fine. And Fishburne walks off and talking about being in politics now. It's like this killed people. He's <laughs> known one of the highest rated drug dealers in California at a point. And it's like, yeah. What, what is Bill doing? So, so to kind of sum up my point is that the way the court scene operates is another example of, I think, Bill Duke trying to have his cake and eat it too. Because there are a couple of noir elements in that scene. I think Lawrence Fishburne's final line to Charles Smith with that same argument they had where he questioned, you know, what's the difference between a black man and the N-word, et cetera. Uh-huh. That's a noir trope as well where it comes back to where you get to use that same thing to get, get over on your, over your villain. That's in there, but then also at the end, he becomes this major figure Again, it's, it's a disingenuous take, especially when you're trying to say there's no morality in how the structure does people involved in the drug wars, crime, et cetera. And now this happens. It's, it's, it's a, the major issue I have with both parts of the engine is that they're very disingenuous to fictional character, to the audience, as well as the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um. One thing, so, you know, we watched this on Criterion Blu-ray and, you know, one of the good things about Criterion is they come with, not only like, do they come with actual, you know, special features, but they come with booklets and, and whatnot. Um, but we watched one of the special features afterward and it was uh, a 2019 interview uh, with Lawrence Fishburne and Bill Duke. And uh, one of the things I kind of got from that that I wasn't aware of, um, but this was actually, the script was initially a, a sequel to Internal Affairs, um, which was a, I've not seen, but that was a 1990 movie with, uh, I think, Richard Gere and Andy Garcia. So I do wonder if some of the inconsistencies that we see in this film come from the fact that it was a film that did not initially have in it some of the stuff that I think was put into it, um, that, you know, by, by Duke and the other, and the filmmakers, but, um, you know, I want to be clear again that <laughs> we, this is, this is, I mean, the whole point of us talking about this movie in this episode is to kind of 
dissected and talk about the, the highs and the lows and stuff. But we've talked a lot about, you know, what we think is maybe inconsistencies uh, that are found in it. But it is a good movie. Um, it is an interesting movie. Um, I think that's it's always it's always interesting. You know, there's always a reason I think why something goes on the Criterion, um, and it may not always be obvious. Sometimes you just may look at this and be like, "Oh, I don't understand." This is just like a this is an okay movie, but there's always there's always multiple layers to something like this, and I think that's why um, that's why it's probably been released by Criterion. So yeah. Anything else you want to discuss about it? Yeah, I, I, again, I'm not, I, I know it sounds like I'm dogging the film out, and I'm not, but it's just that I think Bill Duke is really talented as a director, but I think that if you watch a lot of his films, he gets he, he does get taught because he has a very specific vision of what he wants to do, because Bill Duke is not a subtle director. You know, the dialogue in this film is very on the nose, as most noirs are, and if you watch some of these other films, the dialogue is very on the nose. So I'm not trying to say it's not a good film. But again, there's, there's two major issues that, that, really, that really bring this down to being the classic it could be is the main woman uh, how, and, and, and what they do with her, and also the inconsistencies of the character's motivations, particularly in the payoff of the final act. Those two things really, I mean, they'll bring it down, but they make you like, oh, God, it could have been so much better. Like, it's great, it's good, but it's not, it's just not going over the hill. So, yeah, that's those are really the only two things for me that mm-hmm. got to me. But, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm dogging the film. But mm-hmm. I just, I just know that it had much more potential to be greater than it is. I would agree. So, uh, what would you give it out of ten, Gus? <laughs> I would I would go with I would go with a seven out of ten. Okay. That's what I would give it as well. How about you, Ashley? That was gonna be my score too. All right. So we are all solid seven on this. It is Alex Mason. This might be the first time we all do Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um it's interesting. I certainly wouldn't have got, wouldn't have gotten any lower on it. I was actually debating: do I want to go a little higher? But seven is good. Seven is good. Um, it's on the tomato meter. It has a, uh, a critic score of eighty six percent and an audience score of seventy seven percent. And it's a seven from us. So that is uh, deep cover. It's available on Criterion and probably I would assume via streaming uh, as well. Maybe um, we got to talk about what well, perhaps Criterion does that at stand off. The stand is beautiful yeah. for the film. Oh, yeah. They are, I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of labels out there, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, Aero Film, Criterion, those are the three that are just like they get a cut of something no matter what condition it's in, they are gonna clean it up, <laughs> put it out, and it's gonna be beautiful. So, yeah. The stand for this film is beautiful. I agree. I, like I said earlier, there are some shots in this that are just gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Um and and it a lot of it is just uh, uh, neon lights or the uh, city uh, cityscape or whatever. But yeah, it's really gorgeous. Uh, Gus, thank you again for joining us, talking about movies. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm always on. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. It's still one eight seven on a motherfucking car. Yeah, and you don't stop.
Cause it's 187 on the motherfucker car Took it that I used to know and so dope with Listen to how a motherfucker flow is